0: Well, we're diving into the last chapter of the book of Romans, chapter 16, we're almost there. Uh, we're going to do it just this week and next week, uh, going through that. And I was thinking about it, we were kind of joking a few weeks back, in fact, Josh was making fun of me directly, and, um, and uh, how long this has taken, but then I was talking to somebody that said that their pastor took 14 years to get through the book of Romans, and didn't finish, he ended up dying before finishing uh, the book of Romans. So, so eight months is not so bad, I don't think. So we're going to be looking at the first 16 verses, if you don't mind turning with me in your Bibles there. And upon first glance, you'll see this is really just a, a section of, of greetings and affection to the, the believers there in uh, Rome, and it couldn't be Farther from the experience that I had a number of years back, you know, being a pastor, you get some pretty unique things. When I had the sense the call towards full-time ministry, I had no idea some of the things I would experience in our life. Well, my wife and I end up in different social settings, and we say to ourselves, like, how did we find ourselves? Like, how did we get here? In fact, we were at a, a wedding one time and both of us are like, do you know the groom? No. Do you know the bride? No. Uh, who invited us? It was one of those awkward situations. And then we get to the reception where we literally knew no one. I don't even know how we got there. And, uh, and so we, uh, am, I, am I exaggerating? Maybe a little? always. <laughs> okay, so anyway, I'll keep going with the story. So we're at the reception, and the, the groomsman, or the, the best man, has the opportunity to do the toast for the uh, the guy getting married, the groom. And he goes up, and we find out shortly into it that it's his brother, physical brother, and uh, starts talking. At first, it's a couple jokes, little jabs at him. Then it turns into the, like this all-out roast. and was just Cruel, just saying like mean, hurtful things. I'm like, clearly they have some things they need to work through. I know a good pastor that could counsel them. Uh, but but I, 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 literally, the room was silent. In fact, the guy that was like the DJ kind of keep. He's like, all right, well, thanks for the toast. I think you know it was like that made awkward moment better. But here, the reason I bring that up is one, I couldn't think of a transition. But two, uh, thinking of this this letter that Paul is writing. It is the exact opposite, just drenched with authentic affection for the recipients. He mentions in this section, we're going to see 24 different Christians that he points out, that he references, 17 of them men, 7, seven of them uh, women. And so 24 different people, a few of them are, are, ho- are heads of households that wouldn't be counted in that, that number I just gave you, for those of you that are now counting John Irwin. Uh, and so, and so there, there we go, 17 men, seven women, and his speech is really like one at the Emmys where he's not wanting anybody to feel left out, making sure once the ball starts rolling, he's like, man, I got to make sure I include this person, this person, so that nobody is missed. As I was reading this, I'm like, man, is this a section that I should try to just kind of fast track through, like trying to move quickly through that Then my mind starts ringing back to 2 Timothy 3 that we're told that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I was reminded of that, and I was like, you know what? There's a reason God includes this in the account of Romans, so we're going to spend some time Hopefully a little bit of fun working through this uh, section of uh, crazy random names and maybe a few lessons that we might pick up along the way. Let me pray, though, before we dive in. God, I thank you so much for your word and how it does, even proven this week in my time of study, proves to be faithful in meeting us where we're at. I asked that this morning, that you would speak to us through this text, that you would reveal yourself in a that we go away with a little clearer understanding of, of who you are in the life that we're called to live, of loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray that you'd meet us in this text now, that you'd be great, I'd be small, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. So if you don't mind turning with me to Romans 16, it's so much easier if we're looking at this together, and you can maybe help me pronounce some of the names if that's fair, so we're, what I noticed first in, in working through these verses, this first observation is that we're accustomed in church world to go to kind of the, the heroes of the faith, if you will. People that are like the knowns, the, the Moseses, the, the Calebs, the people that are faithful and uh, Joshua and Battle of Jericho, like all of these heroes of the faith. And often I would propose that we miss out on the average everyday saints that's what i titled this morning's message because that's really what most of us including myself are just people that are just trying our our very best to make it through our week to be faithful to following jesus christ to responding appropriately in situations trying to bring him to a a world that's headed the opposite direction average everyday saints and really that's what makes up the body of christ I love, love if you've heard the expression before of art that's called a mosaic or maybe you've seen stained glass windows. You can see in the picture here is basically a mosaic is lots of small pieces of broken glass brought together to make a beautiful picture. Random collection of different colors that if you just saw them thrown out and spewn across the, the, the ground, you, you'd wonder what they were, the, the point of any of them were. But really, that's what God has done with the church is he's taken lots of broken pieces and put them together to make a beautiful picture, a mosaic, if you will, of really everyday saints. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, a collection of everyday saints. And we're going to hopefully, maybe as we walk through them, see the different types of people God uses in his church, maybe one or two that you relate with. First one we're going to see in first and second verses of this chapter. It says, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. All right, so we'll stop there, talk a little bit about Phoebe for a second. Let's be honest, when we saw that title of this description, did anybody start humming a little bit of Beyonce? Josh, let's be honest here. No, but, but, but here, uh, this idea of single ladies, one of the pieces of that mosaic, which is her name actually means bright and radiant. I think that's kind of a fun thing. But he starts out, Paul, here by paving the way for Phoebe that's visiting these people. Why do you think he's wanting to make sure they're clear on how important she is? Most likely the obvious, she's the one carrying this letter. She's the one that's bringing this letter to Rome, which is kind of a a neat picture. Uh, He has all these validating descriptions, sister, servant, patron of many, each of those referring to her faithfulness in serving the, the body of Christ using the word servant, which is the same word that we get the word deacon, although here in this context not using that to describe an office in the church, but actually a general descriptor of her. So he encourages the church in Rome to receive her and to welcome her basically with open arms. Why do you think that's such a, a big deal and so important? Well, that day and age travel was a, a pretty difficult thing to accomplish. No great road systems. They didn't have hotels. It wasn't like you went on hotel.com and booked the Radisson. Like you literally usually would go from somebody's home that you know from one person's home to the next if you're traveling. Maybe you had an option of a brothel, but probably not a good option in that day and age. And so this was a dangerous thing. And what I find fascinating is that there's no mention of her spouse anywhere that Paul is trusting, in that day and age, women were not held in high regard. What I love about both Jesus and Paul was, man, they're saying, man, we're, we're including you in some of the most important tasks to carry what would then become the bedrock of New Testament theology off to this church in Rome. In Rome. You see, churches in Rome, if you will, but here you see that he elevated and held her in high regard. See that he elevated women because they can be used for major kingdom impact. It's been fun watching my older sister who's single to this day and so, well dating someone, but if some of you met her at the women's retreat and she's just had a wonderful ministry. She's made the the, the most out of every opportunity that life has provided to impact people for the kingdom. I love when you're thinking of the mosaic of the church that God's like, man, single people, married people, doesn't make a difference. They're all included in the body of Christ. See the second side of the spectrum of couples in verse 3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well, we title this one "Faithful Couples." In this scenario, Prisca would, is also known as Priscilla, and Aquila is the husband. So we don't know the story as to why the wife is mentioned first here, but they're talked about numerous places in Scripture, in First in Corinthians, in Acts, and then here in Romans as well. We know quite a bit about them. Basically, the conclusion that you come about this couple is they're like the ultimate behind-the-scenes faithful couple. The bedrock of the church. The bedrock of the church. It describes a number of things about them. Six different things I'll just mention briefly. They funded ministry with their business. We read about that in Acts 18, 1 through 3, that they're the business of making tents. So they're campers. No, back in that day, that was actually uh, how, how you'd form houses, even in, in many scenarios. So they're tent makers. They actually hired Paul to work with them, which is interesting. Uh, Tent makers is still used to this day to describe what? People that are in ministry, but also working in a vocational field as well. It's an expression that we get from Paul specifically. They went on missions trips. We see in Acts 18, 18, and 19, the trip to Syria. We don't know what all was involved with that. They invested. What I love about them, they invested in young leaders, in Acts 18, 24, it talks about the impact they had on a young believer's life or a young leader in the church. His name is Apollos. Are you guys familiar with Apollos? Remember, it talked about Paul being the one that planted the seeds, but Apollos came along and watered, so obviously played a significant role in the early church ministry. I think it was interesting that it describes in the end of uh, chapter 18 that, that they, that Priscilla and Aquila, that they explained to him the way of God more accurately it says. In other words, they take took a young believer and there's something we can glean from that as older believers, followers of the Lord, what a gift it is when you come alongside a younger leader and say, "Man, I want to invest in you. I want to explain to you all I want to explain to you how to understand the way of God more accurately." What a gift God's intent was for the way the church to operate the older Investing in the younger. So they invested in leaders. It says in 1 Corinthians 16, 19 that they led their own house church. Busy couple, right? So they're leading a, a church a church in their, their homes. Uh, kind of would be similar to life groups in our, our church today, where gatherings of maybe eight or ten people together in a home. They supported Paul. We don't know if that means financially. He describes them as in this verse, as fellow workers in Christ. I like what he points out too there in verse 4. He says, all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks to you. Why do you think that is? They realized or he realized without the support of others, he couldn't be reaching and starting these Gentile churches. For us to have that same mentality of like, man, when you're investing in another believer, you're, you're part of the fruit that they are bearing in their life. What a beautiful picture of this behind-the-scenes couple. Then the last thing you'll notice, it says that they risked their necks for my life. They didn't play it safe. They weren't the casual suburban Christians not taking any risks in their life. They were ones that were willing to literally put their necks, it describes, on the line. That's kind of a weird expression, but a cool picture of the role that they played in life. So faithful couples are everyday saints. Think about even Adrian and I's life and our ministry years, and what a bond that has been over the years of having opportunities to serve together within the church. That's part of God's intention for couples living out their faith and being part of this mosaic together. Next one, verse 5. See this it says, Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Two different people mentioned there, and we won't spend time talking about each of the people, but the ones that we know a little bit about, the, these two, we don't know much about Mary. That was a real common name other than that she was a hard worker, which should be something that's celebrated. But Epinitus, what does it say about him? That he was his first convert in Asia. When they're talking about Asia in Scripture. They're talking about present-day Turkey. So it's not kind of the same picture that we might have of, of, of Asia. But he describes them as probably terms he doesn't throw around too loosely, my beloved. Can you imagine if you're trying to reach a new entire region with the the love of Jesus Christ, and this is the first person that you come across that takes on and takes hold of the message. Obviously, somebody that Paul had spent a lot of time pouring into. It's pretty cool to think about that in the place that new believers play in the life of a church. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing that gives more excitement or or passion to a church than when you have a new believer that's part of your ministry there. I was talking to my, my good friend I've mentioned before that's pastoring up in Clovis area next to Fresno, uh, part of a church plant up there. His name's Joe. And he was telling me about some of the fun things because most of their church is made up of, of just kind of ragtag people that got introduced to the gospel and are just first churches experience. They had early in their church, he was telling me the, the story earlier in their startup of the church. They had a get-together, like a dinner, and just kind of talking over what their dreams of what the church would look like. And everybody's kind of sharing different passion areas, and, and Joe said he was trying to kind of pull it all together, and he described one, described one of the things that's going to be great about our church is we're going to really focus on investing in kids, and, uh, and then from the kids, impact the families. And this guy who is there newer to their church, a, a used car salesman actually in the area, goes, that sounds effing awesome. <laughs> Silence in the room, only well, he spelled it out a little more clearly than I did, although I'm sure I'll get letters for that. But, uh, but, but, but here, the, like the church wasn't sure what to do with that. Like these, these young believers are like, well, we don't know much but we know we're not allowed to use that word in this gathering. <laughs> and, and, then, and Joe let, left him, let him off the hook, and he goes, yeah, it is going to be effing awesome. And, uh, and so, so, okay, so I'll stop saying that. But here, the, the, idea, the idea here was just the, the awesome thing about new believers as part of the fold is you never know what you're going to get because there's still some layers that are visible that are still getting peeled off, Right? Some of us old crusty believers that have been following the Lord for a while, all our stuff is internal. The fun thing about new believers is it's external, internal. It's the whole gamut that needs to change. And that's the beautiful picture of this mosaic that God calls his church. It's a little bit of everybody. A little bit of one story here, one story there. All unique here. Obviously his first convert. We see a little bit more of that, of who's in the mix in verse 7. You can address those letters to John Irwin, by the way. Uh, Says, greet, greet Andronicus Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ Christ before me. Couple things. It actually says a lot about them just in that little section. Andronicus and Junia. Apparently, when you say uh, kinsmen, one probably nationality, Jews of descent, but here in that context meaning most likely family members. So we don't know if it's an uncle or an aunt, or we don't know exactly the relationship to Paul, but likely blood relatives of Paul. And it's interesting what it says about them. It says that they were believers before he was. In other words, they were following Christ. Well, what did Paul's life look like before he was a believer and he was legit persecuting Jews do you remember his name Saul and it, his life mission was to stop the way the stop every single to literally take out this movement of Christ followers until he had an encounter with Christ himself you remember the story but for them you imagine if their blood relatives what transition or changes they had seen in Saul's life now Paul you imagine they were probably part of the, the, the group that was literally calling out, God, please rescue us from Saul of Tarsus. Please change this man. Do something in his life. Get a hold of him. Some kind of a bond when you have that family member, that person that seems so far from the Lord finally come into the fold. Man, that's the beauty of the mosaic we call the church. And that's the awesome picture that he describes there. and they're not, they're, they don't just have the bond in Christ. What else do you learn about them? That they were also prisoners. Can you imagine the, the bond that somebody would hear have being prisoners in Christ earlier, John mentioned. Awana volunteers, and I'm not paralleling that to prison. But, there's a, but, but as an Awana volunteer, and you walk around on Tuesday night, and these folks are tight, man. They have that united call, this united vision to impact the lives of, of kids. And man, there's something that that does that brings people together. Now, you amplify that in serving some time together. I mean, how many of you have served some time with somebody else and you're really tight with No, I'm just kidding. That's probably not part of your experience. But, But here in this scenario, I mean, that was a huge bond that he's describing as family members, part of everyday saints. I love it when I hear from you talking to some of the folks that have been here for a while. And you are like, yeah, my, my kids grew up in this church. And now my grandkids are, 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 are now in the kids program here. Multiple generations being impacted and part of the body of Christ. That's the family that he describes here. Do you guys see during worship here, it was so fun to see some of the high school students up here, here leading this morning. The kid in the striped shirt over here rocking out on the guitar, that's my nephew Parker. Man, it's so fun. His dad's a worship leader. It's so fun to see somebody that's in the next generation following the Lord. That's part of God's design of the body of Christ. So family members, you got single ladies, couples. Now, now let's check out verse eight. Those with... Interesting, maybe even potentially shady pass. It says, Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, my beloved Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. <laughs> Greet those workers in the Lord. Triphenia and Trifosa greet the beloved Perseus who has worked hard in the Lord. Let me start with this disclaimer. They don't have in graduate school, they don't have anything that teaches pastors how to say these words. Okay, just get that out in the open about some of these names. So we'll get that out first. But one thing you do notice that's kind of cool is the first person he mentions, Ampliatus, probably butchered that name, first name, was actually. A name typically only given to a slave in that day and age. So this was not a name, this was not an elevated name, this wasn't a, a, a name of high prestige. If, you're, if you have that name, it's most likely because you were a Roman slave. Now we don't know for sure, there's some degree of speculation there, but Philippians 4.22 talks about many coming to Christ in Caesar's household so cool to think about the gospel message infiltrating the enemy's camp, if you will. You know that they're under heavy Roman rule and being persecuted by Rome. And this is the beautiful thing about the message of the gospel and who's being included in the mix here. Everybody was invited. We don't know any of these people's stories, really little to know about them other than strange names. But we do know that each one of them with their different backgrounds and stories were part of the gospel message that was invading that region. One that was contagious, one that was, when it uses terms like, oh, 5,000 came to Christ that day. You're like, what in the world? What was happening in the early church? But you think about this, even this one gentleman from going from serving tables as a slave, serving tables as a slave, all of a sudden being invited to the table as the body of Christ. It's an awesome picture. doesn't matter who you are. God's saying every single person is included. What we notice, too, is a, a, a few things about this uh, that describes potentially the different gatherings or, uh, of house churches when it says belong to. It's usually that grouping of believers together. Then it describes something else that was important to understand about the, the body of Christ. He keeps on, even in these couple verses, three different times he describes them working for Christ. It describes in verse 9, worker in Christ. In verse 12, greeted those workers in the Lord. And in verse, the second part of verse 12, worked hard in the Lord. You see, that was a common expectation. There was none of this bystanders in the early church. Everybody knew that there was a part to play, and there was expected that you roll up your sleeves. And you get involved, bringing your gifts to the table. And that's one of the things that you notice that Paul celebrated in these people. That even Perseus he commends them for their continued work, recognizing this is, hard, this is a hard deal. We're all in this together. Last thing I'll point to in that section that lets us know that nobody's off the hook. Tryphonia and Tryphosa, their names literally mean delicate and dainty. So I don't know if those are like two like, tough Roman guards that somebody was having some fun with or if they're literally just little small people. Like either way, their names were delicate and dainty, but what are they commended for? They were busy working too, working for the common cause of the expansion of God's kingdom. So includes those with questionable pass. Then the last one we're going to wrap up with here in verse 13 through 15 is passerby's. I'll explain in a moment. It says, greet Rufus, fun name, chosen in the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asincretus, Philegan, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Again, likely a house church. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them goes through this. Now, a lot of people today are here because their their name is given because it was a, a, a biblical name. How many of you, to your knowledge, your name is somewhere to be found in Scripture? Anybody have your, your name found in Scripture? Kind of, kind of fun to see that even in this room. How many of you are named Rufus? Maybe I haven't met you. Maybe I... You know, there's certain names in Scripture that are kind of, you're like, man, that's cool and everything, but we're just going to leave that in that time period, and I would propose that was Rufus. That was a, a name only a mother could love, and in fact, here, one thing that's kind of neat, so I'm guessing it probably wasn't a super common name, although I'm not for sure, but there's only one other mention of a Rufus in the Bible. You guys want to hear about it? This is kind of a, a cool one. Mark 15:21. You'll remember this as I start reading. It says, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Think about that for a second. Who's this Simon guy? Remember the account of Jesus' death when he had been beaten so badly that he couldn't carry the cross anymore? They find this passerby that clearly it doesn't, you don't sense from that description that knew much of anything of what was going on. Grabbed this guy named Simon and compelled him. Usually if you're a Roman soldier, you don't compel somebody gently. That might be a nice way of saying made him carry Jesus' cross. We don't know for sure if this is the dad of Rufus, but if it, but if it is, it's pretty cool to think that probably that was the moment that he never turned back from. A passerby, it describes him, of probably somebody that encountered Jesus on that road and transformed his entire family because of it. I understand that that might be some degree of speculation. I don't know for sure, but I do know I wouldn't name my kid Rufus. But I do, do see this, sorry if you know somebody, somebody in the first hour knew three people named Rufus. I was like, oh man, sorry. Uh, but, but here, one thing he says, and we don't know why he describes him as this, but he says, chosen in the Lord chosen in the Lord. And isn't that Simon's story? Simon's story. He's just walking along, doing his, his own thing. All of a sudden, he has this encounter with the Messiah on the last hours of his life before sacrificing himself on the cross. A lot of us, if we're honest, how we ended up in church world is because we were that passerby, You can't really put a finger on it, how we ended up here, how we crossed paths with Jesus, how our lives collided with the good news of Jesus Christ, but we did, and we're so thankful for it. What do you mean? He loved me, God loved me so much, came down, lived the perfect life, died on a cross as a sacrifice, as a substitute, took my place on the cross? Really? The God of the universe? I can't believe that. I'm so glad my path crossed his. Paul, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Chosen. We don't know why he was chosen. That's our story. Man, I don't know why you picked me to reveal yourself to me, but you did. And I'm so thankful that because of that, I'm part of this mosaic that makes up the church. An everyday saint Talking to a friend that did a church plant in Chicago, and part of his church plant, one of the days that they were sharing the gospel message, it was really exciting because you know, ha- having lots of, of new people at the church. He describes one particular lady that was there that had on like clearly like dressed to the hilt. She had on he's like she had on like these five hundred dollar jeans and and uh, and high heels, which questionable uh, taste, but uh, obviously decked out. Uh, but in the gospel presentation, he said he said. Man, she was like the first to stand up. She, she, had, she later found out just a, a random person, said, oh, you should stop by this church someday, and she found herself there. But man, when she heard the truth of God's love and grace, she's just like, man, I'm in, I'm in. They had a, a, a baptism service at the end of that service, and they said that they opened it up to people that were there that uh, hadn't signed up or whatever, kind of an impromptu op- opportunity. He said, that lady went up in her $500 jeans and high heels and got baptized that day. Next week, her daughter came back with her, got saved. You see, everybody is invited to be a part of this mosaic. That's what he's describing here. This is a a crazy thing happening. So here he describes, he says, he talks about Simon's wife, potentially Simon's wife, Rufus' mom. He goes through this list of all these names. And the last thing, and I'll conclude with that, Verse 16, he says, based in response to this, a, a letter that's just drenched with love, what does he say? He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So at the end of this letter, basically what he's doing is he's calling us, he's calling each one of us to show the same affection to each other to show the same kind of affection. He's like, man, I'm not not just here talking about it. You can see by the relationships that I have in a church I haven't even ever been to that, man, I'm living this out. I'm a person that's loving people, that's in relationship with each other, and that's what he's inviting us to as a church. Some people read that section and you're like, wait a second, Scott. I'm cool with all the rest of this passage. That's cool. But this whole kissing part... Uh uh-uh. uh, that's not. That. I I was even texting with Chad, and he's like, "Hey, leave the kissing part out of it." But here, here, what he was doing just for a little explanation is he was taking something that was a common greeting, and he was saying to make it holy. What did they greet each other with? If you've ever been to, to Russia, how do they greet each other with a kiss on the cheek? You know, that's how you greet, and that's okay. In our culture, what do you think might be a common day equivalent to that? What's what's a affectionate greeting? A hug. That's right. We'll, we'll go with that one. So we'll let you off the hook on the kiss. Fair. But what's the common greeting to show some affection? So I remember when I was first uh, meeting uh, Ryan Shoden here who attends our church. He's a police officer in Thousand Oaks. He's over here in the black shirt, handsome devil. Well, he comes up first couple times, I try to shake his hand. I'm like, man, this guy, I know he's a cop. I don't want to mess around, you know. I've spent my time in the joint, you know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I, I, I'm talking to him, and I go in for the handshake. You know what he says to me? He's like, no, man. He said, I'm a hugger. Aww. And so he comes in for the big, big hug. I'm like, all right, all right. Literally, like, the next dozen times, i going in for the... He's like, nope, I'm a hugger. Nope, I'm a hugger. Like, every single time meeting this guy, he wants to hug. And I'm like, man, maybe he's on to something Paul was on to that someday, if we're all in this fellowship, all under the name of Jesus Christ, we're going to be spending a long time, look around, look at the people next to you for a second, look at the people next to you, look at, turn around, look, look, you're going to be spending a lot of time, i.e. eternity, with these people. He's saying we should start figuring out how to show some affection, actually act like we like each other. There's a novel idea. That's, that's, what, that's what he's concluding. Everybody's like, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't want to spend the first hundred years in heaven. Anybody with me? Like, trying to be like, hey, sorry, I was so awkward back on earth. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like, seriously, seriously. So he's saying, man, I'm not just a teacher of theology. This is Paul. I'm not just a teacher of theology. I want you to live it out. I want you to do, do a good job loving each other, caring for each other. The way that I'm modeling, even in this final greeting in my letter, Man, if that's our one takeaway, I'll, I'll, I'll call that a win. So I'm going to be impressed to see us out by the, the coffee counter out there. Lots of hugs going around. It's okay, guys, to stick with the pastor hug. That's what I do. That's the sidearm, you know, that's uh. do you guys know about that or no? The pastor sidearm hug, that's an important one. But anyway, the point being, affectionate, showing genuine affection to each other, that's the call all of this saying is part of the beautiful mosaic and when we get this right John 13:35 says by this all people will know that you are my disciples if what you have love for one another let me pray God I thank you so much that you chose to include these everyday saints in this letter that we see that this isn't just for the high and lofty, the people that maybe have it all together, but a kind of a hodgepodge of of random people, from single ladies to faithful couples to potentially former servants to, to relatives. God, I thank you that the table is set for everyone to partake. God, I pray that we'd live that with that in mind. Even the way that we interact with each other, the way that we care for each other, the the way we interact with the world around us. Don't make hoops that you didn't make. God, I thank you for your grace. I pray that you help grow us and stretch us. I pray that you'd stretch me in this whole thing of showing the love that we claim to have for each other. Not in a weird way. I love that you talked about making it holy. God, we praise you for your faithfulness and kindness to us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, it was a little bit refreshing to not have Romans beating us up for a week. It makes you feel like giving somebody a hug. How can you sing that song and not hug somebody? Let's do that today in an honoring way. God bless you.